Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, your holiday cruise to the emerald beauty of a Puerto Rican rainforest. Now ready for departure. Oh, hello there. So glad you could come along. Wait a minute. I love that idea. How about some backstage passes? How did you get here? We entered a contest. Yeah, we lost. <laughs> We're now leaving the land of fantasy and entering the world of the future. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 325 for the week of June 2nd, 2013. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, audio tours, and more. You can find it all over at www.radio.com. And today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download by visiting audibletrial.com slash Radio. There's a wide variety of Disney books you can download for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. Again, you can sign up for free at audibletrial.com slash WDWRadio. So this week, I want to invite you to join me on a virtual walking tour of one of my favorite lands in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, Frontierland. Recorded live in the park, we'll explore this young town and its history, both real and imagineered. We'll look at how it's changed since 1971 its extinct attractions, details, stories, secrets, some fun facts, the frontier land that almost was, and much more. I'll then have some announcements and play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. no direction, just wandering. Because no longer for me is it about the attractions. It's about the park itself. It's about the place. And as much as I enjoy walking through on my own, I really like more so when I get to travel with people, especially maybe those who are not as geeky as I am, and help them appreciate some of the details and the stories and the meanings behind what they see to enhance their enjoyment of the parks and their appreciation and sort of the depth and the layers of the onion or the, the layers of the cake that are here. And someone else I know that very much is, he's my brother from another mother. He feels the same way, passionate about the parks and the details as I am, is Ryan Wilson from the Main Street Gazette. And today, as fate would have it, the two of, I, the two of us are standing here uh, sort of on the threshold of one of our favorite lands in the Magic Kingdom, Frontierland, as we're going to take sort of a... Um, a geeky walking tour of one of our favorite parks. So, Ryan, normally I welcome you to the show. Welcome home. It's absolutely great to be here. Yeah, right on the boundary of that river. Just get ready to cross over into the Wild West. Yeah, we talked about, we've done segments before about, you know, some of the things that we love best uh, about different lands or parks or some of the details. And I thought today it would be fun because you're here just for us to sort of take 
an, a very unscripted yes. walking tour of Frontierland, things we remember about its history, yep. some of the details that we like to point out to people. Again, and we want people almost to feel as though they're not taking our hand, but, you know, walking, walking, walk, walking alongside us. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's one of the things that I do with friends or family, whoever come with me, and so it's nice to be able to share that with everyone else, too. Yeah, and this is... Um, this is sort of very similar to what I do uh, both in my in-person tours and on my audio guides. But I think it'll be fun sort of getting another person's perspective and view as we're sort of just doing it live. But let's talk about Frontierland itself. And there's a couple of reasons why I picked this land. Uh, not just because I love it and I love Pecos Bill for oh so many reasons. But I think this land is unique in this park for many reasons. One, because of where it is. Right, A lot of people don't realize that... This is really the only land that you cannot get to directly from the hub. And I think it's because, in terms of story, how it flows from Liberty Square and eventually into Adventureland. Absolutely. So you, you know, you're cut off from the, from the hub, but it's also bordered by the trains, which are so important to the West. Also, with all this talk about Fantasyland expansion, it's one of the lands that have seen the most expansion over the history of the park. So it's great to out, be here for that reason, too. Yeah, and, and in terms of history, you know we, know, we understand that so much of the Magic Kingdom was inspired by Disneyland. Obviously, the first Frontierland appeared there in Disneyland. And let's sort of talk for a minute about why it was there, right? You know, Fantasyland was there because it was a way to sort of retell the classic fairy tales in three dimensions, right? Adventureland, Walt loved to travel. He wanted to bring that experience of we, the guests, not being able to travel to these exotic destinations. So he brought it to us in three dimensions, the same way he did on the True Life Adventure series. Main Street USA, a very close sort of personal reflection of his own of growing up in small town America. But Frontierland was here not just because of his love of history and his love of America, but think about the 1950s in America. What was that predominant genre that that really dominated movies and TV? Absolutely. You had those westerns, and you know, Disney was no fool. He had built upon that. You had you know, Zorro, Davy Crockett, you know, that was just a huge part of, of growing up in that era. You know, the cowboy, the good guys wore white, the bad guys wore black, and we, it was, and that was it. And so, to for every you know red blood American boy who wanted to be that cowboy, you had Frontierland, and that was the place where you know for every princess and prince charming, the boys wanted to be there. They, you know, that was their land. Right, everything that you saw on TV, Gunsmoke, you know, Have Gun Will Travel, whatever it was, all those characters and all things really were brought to life. And you're right, I think it was a brilliant move in Walt Disney and. Certainly, you talk about things like Davy Crockett, you know, a, the creation of a phenomenon, right? It, it, not just in terms of the character, which, you know, it was not like this long-running TV series, right? It was sort of the three little minis that were eventually pulled together. But merchandising-wise, you know, George Lucas's inspiration came from the Davy Crockett coonskin hat <laughs> because they literally could not produce them fast enough. Right. Yeah, I was going to say they, they didn't know what they had on their hands until... They were sold out, and they had to keep producing more. And you see it still there. I mean, you, know, you see the Coons Kids and Caps. You don't see as, as probably as many kids running around in them as you used to, but they're still there. They're still an ever-present part of being a child of the Magic Kingdom, being a child in Frontierland and of the Old West. And, you know, maybe with the Lone Ranger coming out soon, we're going to get this, you know, re-emergence of the West theme. So hopefully we'll see. Yeah, and if you look at Disneyland's Frontierland versus the Magic Kingdom here in Walt Disney World, they're obviously very similar in theme, but they're very different in terms of the entrance race, right? We're right here sort of on the threshold bordering Liberty Square. And we'll talk about this portal, right? This sort of gateway that the Imagineers create. But the one in Disneyland is very different. It is sort of that, what you saw on TV, the sort of that giant fort. 
Yeah, you had the walls, you had the gates, you had the sign hanging off of the off the top of the fort. Um, you know, those spiky kind of you know logs that had been hewn up there. Um, you very much knew you were entering into you know the the border towns. But here, I think because of its attachment to Liberty Square, it needed to have a very different feel to it, right? Because it very much does follow the flow of America's journey as we expand from east to west. And sort of as you walk through Liberty Square, you see that you're going from the northeast in in Massachusetts uh, through that federal style of Pennsylvania. Diamond Horseshoe is representative of St. Louis. And as you get here to this threshold... You know, we always say to look up and look down. The first thing you need to do is look down and realize that you are crossing over a bridge, and flowing under that bridge is the Mississippi River. Right, it's that border up between the east and the west, and you, you see that you, the stones of of the Diamond Horseshoe to the wood planks that you're gonna that you step onto immediately as you come across that bridge, and it does it flows all the way down to the rivers of America. So you have this version of the Mississippi. That, that is your dividing mark between Liberty Square and Frontierland. Right, and you can tell instantaneously that, that really where you are is you are on the threshold of a, a very small town that is just beginning to emerge literally from the dust. And one of the things I love doing when I stand here before we get into Frontierland proper is if you stand here and you look back towards Liberty Square, look at the foliage, right? Um, uh, how everything is very... Uh, delicate. Everything is very pruned. Everything is very new. Even the, the leaves and the branches are very small. And as you turn and you look towards da- deeper into frontier land, you see everything is much greener. It's luff- lusher. It, more importantly, it, it's more rough. So you get a very different sense in terms of place and environment just looking between left and right, although there's no sort of clear division between the two. No, the plants definitely take on more, you know, of a hardy kind of species as you get through there. You know, there's the palm, you know, the palm fronds and the big, you know, bushes, um, and you also get these things, these sight lines, you know, looking back there, everything's very, very well lined, very well manicured, and you're looking over here, and you have fort walls, and guards sitting in the, in the ha- you know, with their rifles hanging out, um, sh- you know, little towers across the way. You're very much moving into an unsettled territory, and you're just now starting to come up in, in their day and age. Right, and, and like Disneyland's version, I think a lot of people... You almost it's so big you almost miss it but you don't necessarily look to the left and see that like Disneyland you are entering into sort of past a guard shack so if you look up you'll find the rifles up in the roof you'll find them all the way to the left you'll see uh, you know crates and barrels and on the opposite side you'll see that guard shack guard shack tower that has a lantern a canteen and a bugle to to warn the few permanent inhabitants of this town that there may be invaders on their way. Right, and just like we just got invaded by the band, um, they were, you know, you never knew what was coming off, you know, whether it could be wild animals or, you know, a native tribe, that there, 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 you know, there were real dangers, and so they're paying respect to that and to the knowledge of what was coming um, with this with this early side of Frontierland. Yeah, and as you start to, to walk through, again, this is one of those lands that doesn't have a specific portal per se, much like the main entrance to Adventureland and something does. But as you walk through and you get to this outpost, you could sort of imagine, and this is the the Disney Vacation Club kiosk, you can almost imagine that this outpost is something that you as a traveler coming to this town from the Old West Trails might stop at to get some small supplies. So inside you see there'd be lanterns, there'd be jugs, there'd be sugar, things that you would need sort of 
Azure may be passing through, and later on we'll see another location where it's not necessarily about what you need as you're passing through, but what you might need if you're becoming a permanent resident. So even if you're not interested in the D Disney Vacation Club, which you should be, you should still go in and look at, again, the levels of details that are in, the, in there. Read the getaway stagecoach line. Read some of the, the bills that are posted up on the walls, too. Yeah, because you do. You have notices. You have the, the times guides for the stagecoach. Because you would, maybe you'd be just coming in town, but you're only staying overnight, or you're trying to, you know, you're making a quick getaway out of town. These are, this is going to be the place where this is your first or last stop in town. And they very prominently placed it right at the entrance to Frontierland. And one of the things, you know, we're, we're very much uh, nostalgic, right? We, we've been coming to the parks for, for so many years. I've been coming since November of 1971. And one of my fondest memories as a kid was my dad taking me over, at the time giving me a quarter, now it's a dollar, but coming to uh, test my marksmanship skills at the Frontierland Shooting Arcade. Now, I don't remember it personally, but I know that we know that originally, when the uh, arcade first opened, these rifles that are here were authentic 54 caliber Hawken rifles that shot real lead pellets. Right, and, they, and eventually that became such a problem because it was chipping away the paint on things. They would jam, they'd have to refund money, they, had, they constantly had a cast member here to replace all that. Um, so eventually they went to the more the light sensors and what we know today. Um, but yeah, back in the back in the day, it was, it was this, you had real targets that you were shooting at with a real rifle. Well, you know, you think that the problem with having lead pellets is you're going to shoot your eye out, kid, or you'll <laughs> shoot somebody else in the process too. How it got past the lawyers in the 1970s, I have no idea. But you know, this is one of those simple pleasures, a simple staple of the Walt Disney World experience. Much like, and I love seeing the fact that there's two kids playing checkers. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the areas I always like try to help people. You know, when you want to relax in the middle of the day. Come to, you know, play one of the games. It, you know, it's here, but come play checkers. Come sit on the bench and watch your kids play checkers or play checkers with your child. And it's just, and it's just incredible to have, you know, this little alcove to get away from the main street, get away from the heat, and just relax for a few minutes and enjoy the simpler times. And what I also remember, too, as we approach the, the Frontier Trading Post, and, and pay attention, too, because as we're walking through Frontierland, we are... Like Main Street USA, we are following along on the growth and progression of this town. More importantly, the sort of overriding progression of we as Americans moving from east to west. And as we get farther, we'll see that they're also moving from west to east. But here at the Frontier Trading Post, there's a couple of interesting things. One, Texas John Slaughter was the, the trail boss. He was a, a real character from American history. And that's what Frontierland celebrates is American folklore and a bit of American fake lore, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, and it always had that Disney touch because they did have Texas John Slaughter for a long time. Um, but you do you start seeing the buildings take take on a more permanent form now. You see stonework worked in instead of just the logs and ties. And there's some brickwork being done now. And you're slowly but surely seeing you know the civilization come to come to life. And what I remember about the Frontier Trading Post when it first opened was. The type of merchandise that you could buy, especially when the parks first opened, was very, very different, right? We know, we, we lament to a certain degree about the changes on Main Street USA. We miss the magic shop. We miss some of the other unique stores, the wonderland of wax and whatever. Because you could get very... But here, it was about the frontier experience. So if you wanted Davy Crockett coonskin hat, you could get it. But you could also get Native American moccasins. One of the things I have that will permanently stay in my collection, because you'll never get it again, is I have a Native American peace pipe from Walt Disney World, which, you know, we can understand why. It will probably never be sold again. But you got, you know, cowboy gear. You got Native American gear, tomahawks and rifles before they had the big orange thing at the end. 
But this was a store that if you wanted to be Davy Crockett, if you wanted to sort of live what you saw on TV and the movies, this was the place you could get it. Yeah, this was the place I can remember. You had the cowboy hats, you had the vests, you had you know everything that you wanted. You had the you know the headbands with the feathers, all those pieces, and you still have you know you still had the cigar Indian down the, down a ways. Um, but this was this was this was the Western Weir, and this was if you were a child who wanted to be a cowboy, this was head to toe your place. And as we stand here and I'm looking across the rivers of America towards Harper's Mill and Tom Sawyer Island, and we look back towards uh, the Haunted Mansion in Liberty Square, this is where, and, and especially over the time, you know, we love looking back at old documents and old photos, over time the foliage has grown because at one point you could stand at one end of Frontierland and see all the way down to the Haunted Mansion. Now you look across, you see how overgrown it is. That sight line of Liberty Square is very much obscured by that, and you start to forget, uh, you know, sort of, that, that safety and security of, of the, the Northeast as you start making your way towards the uncharted Old West. It definitely, you know, you, you think about that more wild side. And to the point now where even this morning I was walking around and I saw Tom Sawyer Island and some of the underbrush has been taken out. And you notice the loss of the underbrush because it has become such a, you know, full land. And even when, like, Thunder Mountain opened, you could, you could stand right where you were standing and see the entire mountain. And now you kind of see part of a mine check. You kind of see one of the spires. But overall, it's, it's kind of hidden, and it's kind of just drawing you in slowly. One of the things I like, and it's, such a, it's a small, relatively throwaway detail, but if you look across the street, as it were, you see the truck wagon, right? We're seeing that the kiosks are also very well-themed, from Storybook Circus to Fantasyland, wherever it is. And here, it's, it's sort of important that it's a chuck wagon because in terms of the Old West, the, the chuck wagon was the hub, right? It was the Facebook of the Old West because that's where everybody, go with me here, it's where everybody congregated, right? The guy that you wanted to be friends with was not necessarily the trail boss, but it was the guy who, who ran the chuck wagon because he was going to be the person who distributed your food and your coffee, and that really was through the social gathering place. Yeah, and it's a shame that they don't name them all Cookie. Um, but you did. You know, this is, and, and it still is kind of the gathering spot because you know, Frontierland is that home to that you know, quintessential snack, the turkey leg. And this is where you're going to find it, in these chuck wagons. You know, now you see churros, you see pretzels, you, but this is still where you're going to find that, you know, that turkey leg if you're looking for it. Yeah, and as we start to uh, to walk further down into Frontierland, if you were to walk through the Frontierland trading post, it doesn't have that merchandise anymore. It's more of a pin trading station. But take some time and look at some of the details in there because some of the things I like is there's foreshadowing, right? Some of the, the wanted posters on the side is foreshadowing for some of the characters you'll see on places like Big Thunder Mountain or Splash Mountain. Absolutely, and it, and it is. You see these these nods to what you're going to experience or what maybe you have experienced. And you still have those sheriff badges if you still want to win your 10-star and be the cowboy uh, because this used to be that, you know, that area where the, the law and the criminals used to roam. And to a certain degree, looking at us, they still do. But if, if you look to the left, and again, the Banjo Brothers and Bob, which I love. I love the roaming live entertainment. That harkens back to early Walt Disney World and even Disneyland now. But you see the Frontier Trading Post, the Mercantile, there's, a, there's room for rent. Now, all of a sudden, this town is really starting to take shape. There are permanent residents inside there. And we'll even see it more. You even sort of see it in that store, and even more so when you get to the general store. 
But stopping here at the Country Bear Jamboree, this really is kind of the the crossroads to a certain degree. Because, again, the same way that we've been moving east to west, moving forward in time, if you look at Grizzly Hall, uh, look at the date, right? And then we'll talk about the Country Bear Jamboree itself. Look at the date. It's 1898. We've been moving from the 1840s at Diamond Horseshoe up to 1898. But as you start to move down to the hardware store and a saloon, the dates start going down in order. And the reason why is because this is where the east people going west meet the we- people from the west after the California gold rush meet those going east. That's what the Country Bear Jamboree sort of represents chronology-wise. And, and you know, even history-wise, you know, and, and in the history of a town, you have a great moment where you know, this this theater is really the hallmark of any civilized culture, and so this is where you find it, and it just happens to be uh, singing and dancing bears. Right, and we've talked, I think, um, yeah. you know, about sort of the history of Country Bears and how it was meant for Mineral King Ski Resort, the Mark Davis influence, which is still... The one thing about this attraction itself, talk about nostalgia, I mean, it, for the most part, is exactly the way it was, save for maybe the, the, the shortening a little bit, as it was opening day. Yeah, and, it, and it's one of those soundtracks that you know, whether, whether you know them or not, you know all the songs, you know all the words, you sing along, you're going to find yourself clapping. Uh, it's just a great show, and yeah, it has been very minimal change to it over the years, but it, it and it stands the test of time. And in terms of story, you know, I, I always tell people don't necessarily run, you know, into an attraction, run to an attraction, and take a couple minutes and look, because the 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 sign on the facade here, look, the, obviously the Country Bear Jamboree sign has the familiar bears, Big Al is on there, but if you look at the building itself you realize that there is a story here, right? There's a story. This is an old trapper's cabin, and, and I, ironically, there are bear pelts hanging outside where the country bears have their shows. Right. Clearly, they've taken over you know, since then, but you have the bear pelts. You have some of the antlers, which is alluding to some of the other characters you're going to see inside. Um, you know, and then once you move in, you know, the bears have moved in. There are claw marks on the floor. They have their portraits on the walls. Yeah, really take time to the time to get to know where you are. Right, because there is an overriding story, and that's where the purpose of today is that it's not a series of random buildings put together. There is a story being told, and sometimes you have to sort of dig a little deeper uh, to pull some of those out. And if you start to look up towards the second levels of both this building and the hardware store, you see that there are, like in Adventureland, like on Main Street, there are citizens, there are people that live and work and play here, too. Absolutely. You, know, you look across on the riverbanks and you'll see you know, different rafts, different boats just sitting there. You know, Somebody had to paddle those there. Somebody left them there so they could get back to the mainland. Um, at, but this is a, a town on the move. You, you have places to eat. You have places to get your supplies. You have uh, your, your general store for, your, for some of the other items. Everything you need in a small town, you're going to find here. The shops, the, the eateries, the doctors. It's all here somewhere. You just have to find time to look. The, the, you know, City Hall is right up here. And I... I imagine most people don't even notice it's there. Right, exactly. And, and if you look carefully at the building, so for example, if we walk towards the general store, simple detail, right? But it, necessary in terms of telling the story of Frontierland, the sidewalks are raised, right? These wood plank sidewalks are raised. Why? To keep the dirt off the women's dresses. You have the Native American uh, outside the cigar store, right? He has his twin brother, save for the different colors and the capes, standing outside. He's appropriate, right? Because in a general store, this was like a barber pole. You needed that sign. You needed something visual like the chicken and fish sign at um, Columbia Harbor House to tell people what's being sold inside. When you see a, a cigar store and you know tobacco's being sold inside, it's appropriate to time and place. If you look at his medallion, James A. Garfield is president and the year is 1881. 
But what's interesting about the store too, and even you don't have to even go inside to see, is look how narrow the store is. And the reason why is because the Country Bear Show Building is right behind it. Right. So yeah. So you had to have that room. But even inside, you know, you can look in. You can see the authentic, you know, the wood burning stove, the gas, you know, the, the lanterns. It, it all fits its, to its time and place of where it's supposed to be. And you know, and you can get upset about you know the, the Native American out front, but that is that's how you set your pl- your place and time in that era. So it's it's more of an order to where you are than to anything else. Right. And and what's sold in the general store in terms of prop wise, if you look around, it's different than the stuff you would need as a transient as you were going through. Now you're going to find washboards, you're going to find uh, textiles, you're going to find basins and things that you would need for your kitchen, things you would need for your home because now this town is really starting to get its more permanent residence. Absolutely. You can even see that in, in things as little as the doorknobs, which have you know amazing, intricate details that are that are worked into them. Because this is a real place. This is somebody's you know livelihood. They took pride in it. They wanted to you know, they wanted to make it show, and they wanted to you know their neighbors to feel welcome. And across the way, as we start to approach one of my favorite stops in, in all of Walt Disney World, not just Frontierland, but across the way is Westward Ho Refreshments, which again the the the, the title of it itself has meaning, right? There, it has a nostalgic meaning to it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Westwood Ho has been, such, it has been here basically since the beginning. You know, and out in front of it, you see those, as we get more towards the west and we're going back in time again, you see the places to tie up your horse. You, see, you have all these spots ready to go uh, while you're enjoying your refreshments. Right. And there was actually a store on the other, other side at one point that was called Westwood Ho, one of the first stores to close here. <clears throat> but as you continue to walk down there's the Prairie Outpost and Supply, the Gold Rod Stage Line. This location that is now serves as the exit queue to a certain degree for the Country Bear Jamboree at one point was very different. And this blue facade that now is one of the entrances to Pecos Bill, this whole area was something called the Mile Long Bar. And your exit from the Country Bear Jamboree at one point um, was a lot more entertaining. Yeah, you had... Uh Somehow the heads up from Melvin and Buff and all them have been turned around, and they were and they were talk to you as you leave. They would randomly talk to you at the bar. You know, it was sponsored by Frito, so you had all the Frito and the Pepsi products. And you, that, that's going back to a day when people didn't, you know, they think Coca Cola has always been there, but Pepsi was here in those early days too, uh, and it was all served inside here. Right, and the Mile Long Bar got its name because if you're sort of looking at the en- exit doors to the Country Bear Jamboree, there was a long bar there, and on either side of the bar. On the left and right side were two mirrors. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, if you look down the mirror, it gave you the sense that the bar was in fact a mile long. As Pecos Bill expanded and got larger, it took over the space. But yeah, I do remember coming out. You would expect to see the opposite sides of the, of the country bears. You know, Melvin, Max, and Bob uh, being up there. But it was neat that you had that kind of uh, experience going on, even while you were just going up again. Like you said, to get Frito and Pepsi, two sponsors. At a time when people probably can't imagine that there was both that Coca-Cola allowed Pepsi in the parks as well, right? It was it's it almost you know for us now it's a simpler age you know it was they both there was room for both of them, um, but it was I can remember that you know the mirrors of the mile long bar and it always felt almost claustrophobic because if because if, were, if it, the bar was full it looked like there were a ton of people, and it's interesting because it's sometimes it's so hard to find pictures of places like the mile long bar we know I know we always talk about. You know, our inability to find pictures because it wasn't documented so well, uh, places like that. But when you go to Pecos Bill, I always ask people all the time, 
if they know who the character of Pecos Bill is. I think a lot of people think it's just the name of a restaurant here. They don't realize that it's a character not just from one of those Disney package films, but it's a character not from American folklore, but American fake lore. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like it's the Johnny Appleseed. It's the, you know, these characters that, that had, had a, a story that not necessarily based on any truth, just the, um, and you have Slewfoot Sue and, you know, his, and his horse and everything, you know, and as you go through, one of my favorite things to do now is to show people, look at all the stories here. You know, you have Davy Crockett's story right here. You have Jim Bowie right here, the Lone Ranger, and they're all, they've all come through Pecos Bill. They all have their story that they've left here. That's why it's the Tall Tale Inn. And to really, you know, find these characters and find their stories, whether you're, you know, take take them with you from here, go home, and then and then find out why they're important to to the American history. Right, and you should you should go watch Melody Time so you can yeah. see the story of Pecos Bill because he sort of was the amalgamation of all the sort of uh, red-blooded American hero qualities you wanted in somebody, right? He was loyal, he was brave, he was virtuous, he could lasso a river, he could tame Widowmaker, he could do all those kinds of things. So he was sort of, he was the first Avenger. He was like the real, he was the first Avenger of the Old West. And we've done a, a full show in the past, which I'll link to in, in this week's show notes over on www.radio.com. But Pecos Bills is a series of great stories, right? All those people that talked about, they didn't just leave their stories, but they left artifacts. And if you take the time to look around, Again, forgive my bad analogy, it's like the planet Hollywood of the Old West, right? It's full of memorabilia from all of his friends from American history. It absolutely is. You are. You're going to find Jim Bowie's knife. You're going to find uh, the axe of... Um, I just lost... Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. Wow, the name just lost my mind. Um, you're going to see the mask that belonged to the Lone Ranger. You know, they left these things behind because... You know, they, they, Pecos Bill had been such a great friend of them. And you're right, he, he had all those uh, first Avenger stories, which I guess makes, you know, Slewfoot Sue the first uh, Black <laughs> Widow, which, I, which they both cut a similar figure, I'm assuming. Um, but this was, you know, and at, at the time, you know, this was bordering on the end of Frontierland. Right, and we're going to, and as we start to walk through, you know, people don't realize that this, uh, you know, Splash Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain were not always here. That's why there's that uh, breezeway by Country Bear Jamboree that takes you into Adventureland because Frontierland ended right about where we are here uh, at Pecos Bill. Again, Town Hall is here. So look to your left, right? There's a very small, very narrow facade that says Chinese Laundry. And I know, you know, like Liberty Square, Ryan, and maybe this is not a good testament to my, to my you know, grammar and high school education, <clears throat> I learned so much about American history by researching these two lands. And this Chinese laundry is there for a reason, right? And the reason why is because uh, during and after the gold rush in the Old West, and there were a lot of Chinese immigrant workers who helped yep. build the Transcontinental Railroad, who helped those. When all that ended, they had to find something to do. And the first Chinese laundry began out in San Francisco. Like the people who left the gold rush and made their way east, like that trail that we're following sort of in reverse, the Chinese also began to set up a series of Chinese laundries, and it would be something you would have found in a place like this in an old West town. It's absolutely true. You know, and, and I am like you. You know, I I start to remember things the more I research. You know, like oh right, I did learn that back when I was fourteen. Um, but you start to realize that you know everyone had their place, in the, and it's also that everyone has their place in the Magic Kingdom. So they are paying respect to that, and they are you know to the people who who helped you know build the country, helped build all these towns. Um, and they didn't want to leave them out. 
and you would need laundering services at some point if you were out in the West. Right. They literally created an, an their own industry, right? Something that did not exist in America before was created by the Chinese after all their contributions to help build that transcontinental railroad, that, that, that railroad that literally joined East and West. And so as we start to sort of walk up the hill towards Splash Mountain, and you look to the right, remember, this sort of extra walkway wasn't originally here. Uh, it didn't come until much later on. But if you sort of go back in time, right, and let's sort of pretend that it's October 1st, 1971, we're here on opening day, none of this was here, right? Frontierland came to a dead end, and if you look towards Splash Mountain, if you look towards Big Thunder Mountain, if you look towards Tom Sawyer Island, this entire area at one point was a great big bunch of nothing. Yeah, I mean, even Tom Sawyer Island was not here on that day. It was... You, know, you had some grass. You, you could see the train starting around the bend. Um, you, you still had, you had the riverboat. and you, like a couple of random totem poles that are still right, way down there. Way down off in the distance. Uh, there wasn't anything to see. This was, this was the end of the frontier. You know, and and at, as great as they've done you know, since, you now see the Spanish influence uh, at, on Pecos Bill, which is great as you wander around the corner towards Adventureland because they both have that same kind of feel to them. Um, but at, at the end of Frontierland here, where we have Splash Mountain now, was a much simpler, much smaller train station. Right, and this was, uh, you know, originally the, the, the only second stop uh, uh, along the, the train station. And the reason why this area was left empty was because there was part of a, a, a much more grand plan. There was a master plan here, and I, I don't know if we've actually done a full segment. We need to spend a full mm-hmm. segment on what was supposed to be here as part of Phase 2 in the, the expansion of Walt Disney World. Frontierland was going to expand not just horizontally in terms of, of uh, land that it was going to take, but vertically as well, too. And we're talking about the Reston River expedition, the Reston River expansion, uh, Thunder Mesa. You were going to be able to, you know, there was going to be a one-ray train. There was going to be a dark ride, very similar to Pirates of the Caribbean, where you went through the Old West. You went through the you know, Native American encampments. Uh, you know, there were, there were going to be cowboys on the roof, you know, with their horses and... Uh, and there was going to be a bandit chasing your boat throughout the town. You were going to be able to climb up the side of the mesa, you know, whether it was going to be on a donkey or hike up and have a view of the Magic Kingdom. It was going to be an extraordinary just expanse of this entire side of the park almost. Right, and just to sort of put it in perspective for people, when I, when I bring them down here, I say look at the top of Splash Mountain and look at the top of Big Thunder Mountain. Don't imagine those as simply peaks. Imagine that as a, a mesa, a giant sort of mountain range that would have existed back there because this expansion was going to be huge. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was very much the, the, the child of Mark Davis, right? Legendary Imagineer, the funny man. His influence could be seen through so many attractions like the Country Bears. This was going to be his baby, right? With so many things you talk about, sort of this, this Pirates of the Caribbean of the Old West. And if you've been to any of the Destination D or D23 events, you've seen that that was a very fully thought-out concept. There was music written. There were, there were ride-throughs and flow-throughs done. There were props created. That plane was very, very much in flight. This was going to happen, so much so that if you went to Main Street USA and went to where the Walt Disney Story was, but originally sort of that, that preview center, Hoot Gibson was telling you to come back next year to see Thunder Mesa and the Western River Expedition. Right. It was, I mean, it was, it was ingrained everywhere. They, they started building pieces for it, you know, some of which ended up in the land because they were they they knew that this was what was coming next. They never expected the you know the uh, copious amounts of guest complaints they were going to get because of Pirates of the Caribbean. 
people you know, they thought it was so close to where people lived in Florida that they surely weren't going to want to see this attraction here. And as it turned out, they were wrong. And people were just like, where are the pirates? We want the pirates. Why are pirates here? And so they had to put their expansion on hold, what, what ended up being indefinitely to this point, so they could build pirates. Right. People don't realize that Pirates was not here on opening day. We sort of just assume it's the classic, it's the, the you know, the cornerstone attraction, like the Haunted Mansion always was here. But you're right, and, and till this day I sort of question that logic. Like, because we're close to the Caribbean, people wouldn't be interested in it. But they either saw it in Disneyland or they saw it on TV. Yeah. How could you not think that people from the south, from the northeast, were not going to come down here and want to see it? And it was a very hard thing. You know, they had to sort of make the decision, okay, we're going to scrap this gigantic plan for Thunder Mesa, you guys need to find a way within six months to a year to shoehorn me in a, a now obviously shorter version of Pirates of the Caribbean. Mark Davis, as we know, was, was, was devastated because of how invested he was in this project. Right, and the only thing that, would, that ended up coming out of it was Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And, and you're right about the logic of it, because if you think about California, you know, that is where, you know, part of the West. That is where we had everything. But Frontierland was a huge and integral part to... to both you know, Disneyland and now the Magic Kingdom, and it didn't matter where it was. And so you would think that, well, okay, they'll still want to see the Pirates the same way they want to see the Haunted Mansion because they had they had seen it on you know television with Walt. They knew that this was part of his legacy. Why wouldn't you want to be there with it? Yeah, and, and but like you said, you know, no good idea uh, ever dies, and you know we can obviously and need to do individual segments on the history and the, the genesis of things like Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain. But that runaway mine train concept never died and we know through legend which has been confirmed because I always sort of question the story of how Splash Mountain came to be and how Big Thunder Mountain came to Mm -hmm. be but you know Disney always had these wonderful characters from this incredible story in Song of the South which many people listening probably have never even seen before but you know thanks to people like Tony Baxter they realize they've got something in the music in the story and the characters that can be told. And while this is not a retelling of the Song of the South film, those characters are in here and they, and they have that log flume ride which they so desperately needed. Yeah, you definitely needed some kind of water ride that wasn't just a boat ride through It's a Small World or you had some thrill element to it and you could hear the screaming as, as we're sitting here. Um, but they did, they took, you know, they took out Uncle Remus, they gave us Brer Fog who's going to narrate you through, you know, th- this land that they live in, which is Chickapin Hill and, you know, a Br'er Fox, Br'er Bear, Br'er Rabbit, all the, the briar animals. Just, you know, they, this is their home, and you're living through one of Br'er Rabbit's adventures. Yeah, and it was interesting sort of how Splash Mountain had gotten its name because uh, the, the story that I had heard was that Tony Baxter had this idea for the Zippity River Run, right? Really sort of integrating the story of a Song of the South and, and the, the great music. And they approach Michael Eisner with it, and he's like, okay, you know, I dig it, I, I like the idea, but I really, you know, we've got this new movie coming out, and I really want to sort of tie in this film that we have in production, really try and bring that into the parks. And they say, well, Michael, the film that you're talking about takes place in the Northeast. It doesn't fit into this feel and the coloring and the theming and the story of Frontierland. And the film that Michael Eisner wanted to promote literally was Splash, the, the mermaid movie with Daryl Hannah and Tom Hanks. Right, which did end up finding its own place in the park over at the studios, but that's another story for another day. Um, but, you know, you think about now, we talk about the, the Disney mountain range. Uh, you know, back at, you know, back in time, there was, there was not a mountain range. There was Space Mountain, Thunder Mountain, and then we gained Splash Mountain. But 
you know, that word is such, a, you know, such an iconic. You get the feel. You know, the word almost has a life of its own. You feel the splash. You feel the spray. Uh, it was a great name choice for the attraction. Well, and it really was sort of a compromise, right? So, you know, they wanted another mountain in the mountain range. Michael Eisner wanted to sort of promote this film, and they literally sort of agreed on Splash Mountain as a compromise. Tony Back says, well, we get the word mountain in there. We get another mountain in the range. You get the title of your movie in there, as sort of uh, as subtle as it is, and that's how Splash Mountain got to, got to be called Splash Mountain instead of Zippity River Run. Yeah, it is. It, it's very much a compromise. They got their, you know, they got their mountain, um, but we all get the iconic attraction for it. And as you sort of start to go around the corner towards Adventureland, that shift in architecture you can see is becoming much more prominent as you go from the Old West into the Southwest and eventually into the South and the Caribbean. You see it in terms of uh, the, the clay tile roofs, the coloring, the decor, even on the second levels, you can see uh, some of the artifacts that are up there, sort of indicative of the people that would be living here. But across the way, um, where Golden Oak Outpost sits now, I remember for a long time there used to be, in this area here, uh, you'll see that there's a tree, um, and you can see that one of the, um, the pieces of fence is broken through. There used to be a McDonald's fry cart here, mm-hmm. and they created this elaborate backstory, right? Because everything has a story. Splash Mountain has a very elaborate backstory that you can actually read as you come off the train. There's an old newspaper that tells you the story of how Splash Mountain got its name. Big Thunder Mountain has that legend of it as well, too. Even the fry cart had a legend about the the miner that was selling goods up there, and it rolled down the hill, and it crashed there, and it ended up here. Everything has a story to it, and that's one of the things that I love and that is so often overlooked. To the people sitting there, all they see is a broken fence. We don't know that there's a history and a story behind it. Right, and you can see it as much as on the signage where you used to have the, the sign for Haunted Mansion and you, know, you had, had the names crossed out. There's been so much story just layered upon layer you know, here that you could dig and still, and you know, you're not going to find the end for a long time. Um, and you can, you can still see the mountain. There was a, you, know, you know it has earthquakes, you know it has a gold rush. So it makes perfect sense that something would come tumbling down the hill and eventually end up in this area. We were talking before about sight lines, right? Disney is so very cognizant about what you see from where, right? The, 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 um, the building, the Enchanted Tiki Room in Adventureland, which you can see from Frontierland, the animal that's on top of that is meant to be very nondescript, so it looks like a, uh, you know, a Texas longhorn from the Frontierland side, but it could be a water buffalo that you'd find on the Adventureland side. Well, even standing here, if you look back towards Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain, you can see how Big Thunder Mountain almost looks as though it's part of the same mountain range. So much so that they changed the color of the mud and the dirt on Splash Mountain. It should not be that red, rusty rock, right? If it's from the deep south, it would be a much deeper brown. But in order for it to look as though it blended with Big Thunder Mountain, for people who are walking this way, they alter the colors. And even standing here, you can watch and you can see one, two, three, four. I can count from here five layers as the, as the, the hills incline. To, you know, you're further back in the range, further back in the range, and that's why it keeps getting taller and taller as you get off to the distance until you see this one lone spire. And it does the, the color blending works so well that it, it doesn't belong to deep south, but you're not in the deep south. You know, you're in the west, and you're not, and your mind's not totally wrapped around that piece. Right. And if it wasn't that color, nobody would mind, right? Nobody would mind. Nobody would say, "Hey, it's not." Well, those things don't match. It's not, nobody would sort of put that together. But that's the kind of level of detail that imagining and, and thought that they put into it. Absolutely, you know, it's like we're talking about the, you know, the tile roofs that, you know, with the curved tiles. 
the wood that, that changes its, you know, just ever so slightly starts changing its color to a deeper, darker color as you go by. Um, but it's so that when you're coming from Adventureland, you still have that, that very strong Spanish influence uh, coming around the corner, but you also have, coming from Frontierland side, that Old West, the rickety fence, you know, wooden posts, uh, and it meets in the middle, and it's a, almost a seamless blending between the two lands. And even something as simple as a, a quick-service food location, right? Golden Oak opened uh, a number of years ago. From its name alone, there is a significance in, 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 in what its title is. Absolutely, because you consider, you know, people think, you know, Golden Oak. The, with McDonald's, the first thought is the Golden Archers, you know, McDonald's. But it's actually to Golden Oak, which is the ranch that they use, and they filmed so many wonderful shows on uh, back, you know, back in the '60s for Disney. Right. So it has that historical significance to Disney. Uh, obviously, a lot of people think Golden Oak, the, the new residential community being built, you know, less than a mile from where we're standing. But if you look, you know, the building itself, in terms of decor, is appropriate, right? It, it, it's made to look weathered. One of the things I, I love about this building is it too has a story behind it. They build this elaborate backstory that you can't find anywhere. You can't read it. There is no great big book of Imagineering that you can pick up. But, right, unfortunately, there is not. Uh, although the Imagineering field guides um, yes. by Alex Wright are awesome. They are incredible, and I suggest getting all of them for all the parks. But they create a story about the person who creates Golden Oak, right? He's someone who at one point used to sell mining equipment. When the mines ran dry and the gold rush ended, he had nothing else to sell. So he said, all right, you know, people still need food. So he, he transforms his business from selling mining gear to selling food. And if you look, he's repurposed all that old mining gear. If you go around the corner and look through the brush, you can see that a lot of the old mining gear is up on the wall. The rusted sort of uh, lamps are on the wall, too. But the thing that I love about this location is the seating area, yeah. right? Because if you come outside, there is, there's a story that's being told in a very simple, relatively nondescript seating area until... You're told where it is, and you have that aha moment. Right, because you, you do, you, know, you find out that this is, this is mining equipment. Until you le- learn that, all you see is that this is an outpost somewhere, but you have milling wheels, you have gears, you have you know, wagons that have stopped here who have lost wheels. They, they've gone into the light posts. They've gone into the benches sitting out front. Um, you know, the walls have started to crumble down out here in the seating area uh, where he had storage. It's all right here, but until someone actually puts it all together for you, you just it's just a nice place to sit in the shade. Right. You don't realize that that seating area in the middle is actually a grinding wheel. It's a, it's a millstone, and if you look on the ground, you can see the prints, right? Yeah. The, the, um, the, horseshoe the horseshoe prints of you know, the, the, ho- the horses or the donkeys that were literally working this mill. And then you realize, you see the crumbling walls. You see how we repurposed wagon wheels and logs to create the benches in the seating area. Absolutely. And even as you're walking in, you walk right over what used to be a wooden door and what used to be a wall. It, you know, it's very similar to, you know, if you think of the fort area of Harambe in Africa, in Animal Kingdom, it's very similar to that, that crumbling effect and that, that paving effect, but you don't see it until, you know, until someone just you know, snaps you out of it. And the thing that I like about this is there's no reason for it. Like, you don't need it. They could have just put benches out here and everybody would have been fine and nobody would have complained that it's not themed. Right. It could have been red pavement with brown nondescript chairs and brown nondescript tables and everyone would have eaten their lunch just the same as they do now. They wouldn't have just been amazed at what they see. But they take pride in their work and it shows, you know, in no place in no place more than in the areas you don't look at. And as you, you know, if, as you look across the, the causeway, again, you sort of get a sense that 
you have left sort of the old west and really started to move into a much more southwestern Caribbean feel as you start to to head towards what was originally known as Caribbean Plaza. Right, because you know, once upon a time, there, there, this wasn't even here. You had no way through. You know, Adventureland just stopped back by the Tiki Room. Um, and so they found this way to perfectly tie together with Caribbean Plaza and that very strong um, you know, Spanish colonial influence to tie it into the Old West. So that everyone, you know, so that nobody's left out of the story at any point. And there's no, what I like about this is there's no clear delineation. Like you don't sort of have a threshold that you cross through, and now, oh, I see, I'm out of Frontierland into Caribbean Plaza because you are getting a sense of the buildings here. Everything really ties in. You know, the story flows very, very seamlessly once you sort of take the time to look at the details. Right, and and it even goes so far as to say, you know, even when you get to the sign in Caribbean Plaza that says Adventureland, you still have. The, you know, the new Pirates Adventures game uh, that is taking place, you know, starts before you get to that sign. So there is not an actual boundary here that says this is where you are. It's, it's left to your imagination to, to define that mark for yourself. Right. And, and what they do is they have one of those portals, right? They have that sort of threshold that when you cross over, you instantly realize that you have left frontier like the music changes, the coloring changes, the theming changes. I, I, one of my favorite ones is that transition from Liberty Square into front into I'm sorry from Fantasyland into Liberty Square when like a scene change in a movie the same thing here it gets dark as you pass underneath the scene opens up it gets lighter again you can hear the subtle changes in the music and all of a sudden you instantly realize you've been transported to another time and place right it's almost if it's that shade gives your you know your eyes your vision that split second to readjust to the dark and then it's a whole new scene that you get um and, it, and it's, it's one of those visual effects that you don't, you don't even catch, but it's, it's just there enough to, to trigger that change. And the thing is, you know, we've actually taken a relatively quick walkthrough yeah. of Frontierland. You know, we didn't, if we would have gone to Big Thunder, if we would have gone to Splash Mountain, that would be two more hours right there. Yeah. But we could have spent another hour, literally, in a good way, sort of nitpicking all the other details that could be found both inside and outside the buildings like I tell people all the time stop worrying about rushing to get to Splash Mountain take your time along the way go into the stores like look up look around see how many other details you can find to help you connect the dots realize that there's an underlying story there definitely it's like what's the old saying you know it's not the destination it's the journey you know this that this epitomizes that you know, find those little names. You know, if you have to stand in line for, you know, Splash Mountain, Thunder Mountain, especially now with the new queue at Thunder Mountain, for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, great. Take that time to really get yourself immersed in the story that they're giving you because they have all, you know, the whole story is right there. It's not written, it's, but it's in all the details that you find. And so you take the time to get to see it, to get to know it, and you just get a further appreciation of, of what you're experiencing. Yeah, and I think especially, too, in places like Frontierland and Liberty Square, as a parent, I think there's so many educational opportunities, not just for us, but for kids. You know, as you take them through, uh, you know, you walk them down by the banks of the rivers of America and you talk about some of those crates that have names that go back to stories of, um, you know, Mark Twain, characters from American folklore. You go into a Liberty Square, real American history is being taught there in a fun environment. And I think... You can trick your kids into learning while they're having fun, too. Yeah, because maybe one of those things where they take it away as they go, you're like, okay, there is this name. Why is that name, you know, why do I want to know that name, you know? And for them, it's because they want to know why that name is important. But they, they get so much more out of, you know, taking time to, to understand that, and whether it's here or the ticket, you know, back home with them. 
Uh, it, there's so much American history and so much you know literary history just right here, and it uh, it's around every corner, and it's extraordinarily you know well done in how it's presented. That it, there's it's a shame that it's not you know acknowledged more. Yeah, there there's the story of America, right? There's the story of real American history, and there's the imagineered stories that we can pick up as well too. That the imaginers weave into every building, every restaurant, every storefront, whatever, and obviously every attraction as well, too. There is so much more to learn about Frontierland. If you want to learn more, first thing you got to do is, is go check out Ryan Wilson's blog. It's over at MainStreetGazette.com, MainSTGazette.com. I also have uh, audio walking tours that you can download from iTunes or directly from www.radio.com. I have all the lands in the Magic Kingdom, including Mickey's Toontown Fair. May you rest <laughs> in peace. Tomorrowland is coming, but... You know, this is sort of just scratching the surface of some of the things that we get to talk about more so in Frontierland. I like this Ryan P. Wilson from Maine. We got to do this again. Absolutely, anytime. We have many more lands to conquer and many more lunches to conquer as well. Speaking of lunch, isn't it, it's about that time, isn't it? <laughs> the smells coming from emanating from Pecos Bill, it, it's like the, it's like a sensory weenie drawing you into the Fixins Bar and it's the Cheese Sauce. The Fixins Bar to end all Fixins Bars. Widowmaker fries. Ooh, Widowmaker fries. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. In addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to, rate, and review over on iTunes, be sure and visit the website at www.radio.com. There you can not only comment on this week's show, but find past episodes, read our daily blog post, check out new videos, subscribe to our newsletter, download the free WW Radio app, and much more. There you can also find out about upcoming events, including our Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and other events coming up around the country, including our cruise on the Disney Fantasy this November. If you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-9391. You can also connect with me on Twitter. There I'm at Lou Mangiello. And on Facebook, you can subscribe to my personal profile. That's facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello or like the WDW Radio page, facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Quick thanks as always to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel, they're my official recommended travel provider because it's who I use. So whether you're coming to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Adventures by Disney, or on a Disney Cruise Line vacation, Becky Menken and her team of agents give you the best possible prices, all available discounts, all at no additional cost to you. And really the hallmark is their incredible level of personal service. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And if you can't get enough Disney magic in your day, and really, how can you? You can subscribe and order back issues of Celebrations Magazine over at celebrationspress.com. There you can also order back issues or subscribe to the digital edition for your iOS or Android device. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Comment. Share links over on Facebook. And please come by, rate, and review the show over on iTunes. Very helpful and very much appreciated. Finally, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time out of your day and your week to tune in and listen to the show. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my passion for Disney with you each and every day. I am fortunate and blessed to be able to do what I do. And I don't want you to miss out on experiencing the life of your dreams simply because you quit way too soon. Never give up on what you love and always keep moving forward. Thank you again so very much for listening. Have a great week, everybody. So until next time, 
See ya. Hey, Lou. It's Wes from Sioux Falls. I am on a car trip starting on Sunday. I'm going to be driving 19 hours from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, all the way to western New York. And I have about 16 of your podcasts loaded up and ready to go. So the next time I call, I may be west from Iowa or west from Illinois or Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, or New York. Hope you're having a good one. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Kendall Foreman from Indiana, and I just wanted to call and tell you that it was great finally having the chance to meet you and the other WDW radio fans at last weekend's Meet of the Month. And while I was there, I forgot I had something I wanted to let you know. Um, My husband and I have been looking forward to trying the meatball sliders at Portobello's at Downtown Disney since we heard about them on the live review back in 2010. However, when we got there Friday night, we were pretty upset to find out that the meatball sliders have been removed from the menu, and they did it just five days before we got there. So talk about unbelievable. We waited three years, and then we missed them by less than a week. So that was kind of a food disappointment, but we more than made up with it, made up for it with tons of great food the rest of the week. So I just wanted to let you and the listeners know that you can't get the sliders anymore, and I just wanted to tell you thanks for all you do, and that I'm looking forward to lots more restaurant reviews on the show. Thanks. Bye. You've got-